This is NASA in Silicon Valley, episode 10. Today's guest is Alex Mazzari, manager at the Space Shop Rapid Prototyping Lab at NASA Ames. We discuss his ongoing passion for aeronautics, including a slight spoiler on a project we'll discuss in future episodes called MADCAT. We talk about how the space shop is helping folks all over NASA innovate and try out new ideas, and focusing on how technology drives exploration. Without any delay, here is Alex Mazzari. You're originally from the East Coast. How did you end up in Silicon Valley? How'd you end up at NASA? How- well, yeah, you know, my, my family's from the East Coast, but I was actually born in Redwood City. And I've, really? been, a, I've been a Silicon Valley native my whole life. Uh, born in Redwood City, grew up in San Jose, went to Piedmont Hills High School. And okay, a local. Local as it gets, in, in OA. And my family wanted me to stay local so I could, I could kind of um, mentor my brother through engineering yeah. as well. So I went to San Jose State okay. and majored in aerospace engineering and then graduated in 2014, uh, continued for a master's degree wow. in aerospace engineering, finished in December, and I'm enrolled in a PhD program at UCSC uh, doing computer engineering, emphasizing in aeronautical control systems and stuff. Crazy. So yeah. I, then how did, did your family end up moving out east at some point? Well, you know, you... My, my parents uh, met in Colorado, and my uh, my family decided to go back out east, and my dad found a job in Silicon Valley back in, like, the early 80s because he's an engineer himself, so he moved yeah. out here, and, you know, we came here, and everyone else went there. So, so it seems like <laughs> before, like, coming straight out of high school stuff, you were all about, like, Aeroscience. Oh yeah, man. I, I was. Uh, I knew I wanted to be an aerospace engineer when I was in third grade, and I was in. Uh, <laughs> I was at the local library, and I'd picked up this book uh, regarding how things fly, aircraft, <laughs> helicopters. Nice. And and, and I, I was the one kid that didn't want to put the book back onto okay. the shelf, and I knew at that point that I wanted to. I wanted to figure that out. So I knew what I wanted to do for for quite a while, and. Uh, when it came time to declare, it was just where, not what. Okay, yeah. it was like it was just a matter of figuring out where where do you want to go exactly. and do it. So was NASA always a part of that, or just kind of always in your mind, or did it just happenstance of how what jobs are available? <laughs> you, and you know, the the interesting thing is a lot of uh, people tend to forget that NASA is pretty much the agency in charge of aeronautics as well, uh, in terms of civilian research, and that's the yeah, specific when you think aeronautics they tend to think like the FAA or, yeah, or something like right. that right but a lot of the amazing things that have developed in you know beneath the stratosphere have happened at, at NASA and uh, especially from NACA like people don't mm-hmm. understand that history that's a connection yeah NACA right. is what was but basically we the Ames was before NASA was even a thing right so right. it was the original and um, being part of that was always uh, a dream, right? It's wow. a, it's it's an it's an aspiration, and whether that happens or not is is <laughs> you know sometimes out of out of your hands. But I tried to increase the probability of that the best I could by majoring in the right things, okay. by staying interested in the field, you know, uh, making sure that I would devote as much time as I could to it. Like I remember my uh, my friends would go out and skateboard. And after the first or second time I'd fall that day, I'd just go inside, turn up a flight simulator, and, and fly <laughs> as around. As one does. As, as one does, and, and fly around. And that's what I did with my childhood. Oh, but, wow. Yeah, I mean, through my undergraduate, I was really lucky that at San Jose State, essentially every professor I had mm-hmm. either worked at NASA, was a visiting researcher at NASA, or Somehow currently connected. worked there. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, Directly or indirectly, I'm right. sure. It was just kind of in the... 
you know, that, that's, that's the way things worked out there. And uh, my junior year, one of my professors for propulsion, Marcus Murbach, is a PI for Tech Headset out here. Okay. And he needed some help on, uh, he just needed, you know, an arrow intern and what better okay. pool than his students, right? And the Tech Ed set, is that more like like the small satellites? Exactly. That kind of thing? Yeah, it's a small satellite. And pretty much he does demonstrations for various technologies on the SmallSat platform, like okay. exobrakes, sustainable deorbiting, stuff like okay. that. And as I noted, my interest was specifically in aeronautics. And mm-hmm. I mean, astronautics is cool too. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm for all of it, your arrow, your arrow. But aeronautics was my passion. So I, uh, as part of that that internship, we used the space shop. And the space shop, um, if yeah, you're not familiar, yeah, yeah. Tell, tell, tell us about the space shop. How did that become a thing? Because that's what your current, that's like your main job right now, right? <laughs> it, it became my main job. Yeah. What um, what I started out as was just playing around in the space shop as, as an intern on a different project. Okay. And this was the rapid prototyping facility that was open to us. Okay. And the space shop is literally, this is a building with what, what's actually in it. Yeah. It, well, it's like a we're really lucky because it had a little bit of everything. And in that sense, it was definitely a maker space. Uh, okay. There's a little bit stuff. of subtractive, additive, uh, manufacturing, assembly oh, uh, wow. materials, stuff to kind of test it all with, uh, oscilloscopes, function generators, multimeters. So if you have an idea, you have a concept, a thing, you want to build something to test uh, it that's, out. That's the place to this be. This is where you do it. That's the place to be. And uh, considering that we were all interns on a CubeSat project, it seemed like a really good Perfect. match. But as I noted, I was kind of interested in, in aeronautics as opposed to astronautics, so I actually requested to transfer over my internship into the space shop. Okay. So I spoke to the then manager and kind of begged and pleaded. She heard me out, gave me an interview, <laughs> and eventually was like, you know what, fine. You could start here. And, you know, uh, Marcus Murbach's a cool guy, and he understood, and, you know, he had plenty of applicants to, to fill in for me. So no hard, no hard uh, feelings there. And we still yeah. play soccer together on the field. Yeah, so I stayed there, and then as soon as I graduated with my undergraduate, they made mm-hmm. me an engineer at the space shop. Okay. I just kind of went through the ranks, and then when uh, my the then manager left, I filled the role. I guess I did a good enough job and was able to convince people that I could do it. So, yeah, they made me the manager, and uh, I continued on for grad school because I loved it. Yeah. And I loved the You're going research. to school the whole time. The whole like, time as I was going to school and, <laughs> and slowly working up the ranks, yeah. taking over things. Yeah, then, yeah, yeah. You know, some some people say they can't do that. And I like to think as an engineer, you can uh, pick one of these three things that people typically do. They sleep, get good grades, or have <laughs> a social life. For me, it was getting good grades. And I didn't okay. sleep or have a social life, right? But I, I love what I did at work, and that more than made up for it in terms of fulfillment. Oh, wow. Yeah. So so what is this space shop? What is what is like kind of like the purpose of it now? Or what are you guys, yeah, what are so, you guys working on? So, so, I mean... Is it just it, a free it, open space for people to come and use? or is it, Right. Or? So that's kind of the, the purpose of the space shop. The space shop is very, very, very unique in the federal government in the sense that it's a completely open facility. And when I mean open, anyone who is agency personnel can come and use it okay. with the proper paperwork and the right you know, authorizations. Yeah, they can your come boss has got to be okay with it. Exactly. But- Right. You have to be, they have to understand what you're doing with your time and approve that that's something that, you know, you could do. 
and uh, you're able to come in and use all the equipment. And as I noted, okay. it's very diverse, right? You have laser yeah. cutters, a huge variety of 3D printers, uh, everything to a bandsaw and a drill press and power tools. And these are things that you typically don't have access to in your office. Yeah, you get some <laughs> office and they're like, okay, now you got to go through procurement, yep. go through a whole process yep. to buy yep. this setup or a 3D printer. And some people may have it, some may not. But this is a cool place where if you don't, like, have a whole bunch of stuff all together. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. And and the combination of these things, I mean, it's been attempted a couple of times throughout the agency, but maybe with not as much uh, trust in the individual <laughs> employees, right? The little bit of supervision, you have to be there the whole time. You can't leave anyone unattended. You have to do the work for them, for mm-hmm. example, if they're using a certain type of equipment. And the way our paperwork is formatted is that you get trained to a point where you can handle this equipment. By okay. yourself. And NASA so it's has not a like just a free for all. It's like, oh, no. all right, you want to come use it? Awesome. We're yeah, not going to make you right. buy the stuff. Right. Here's a place you can work. But kind of train them up. And learn how to use it. There's a lot of safety protocols, right? Yeah. I mean, legal was involved. Safety was involved. They approved everything step by step. There's job hazard analysis reports that okay. everyone must read before using the equipment. All this stuff, right? Okay. And and we make sure they get to a certain standard so that they are not posing a very large danger to themselves. Right? <laughs> yes. And um, yeah, but they're able to work on their prototypes and and I loved it. So I stayed around, helped it. And I've kind of refocused the facility within the last couple of years, which originally was primarily just for uh, low fidelity prototyping. People kind okay. of... Uh, by low fidelity, what do you mean? By yeah. low fidelity, I mean just uh, very, very, very basic types of printing okay. were available. Very low grade, desktop grade, FDM printing. I mean, the facility started, right? And as you know, when you get funds, you have to kind of distribute it, especially for that type of facility. So you have a little bit of everything. But the emphasis on little bit kind of bothered some of the directorates. The usage wasn't what it could have been and should have been. And it's definitely not what it is now. And the way we got to where we are is by understanding what people needed. Okay. What a research center really needs and what a research center tends to use the most often, what people people were requesting in terms of materials, in terms of additive processes, and turnaround times, more importantly. Making sure that you can go from A to B really quickly is kind of the whole purpose of an in-house facility, right? This is kind of unique when people think of NASA centers or you have like the big ones that are launching rockets or training humans for spaceflight. I mean, we're at NASA Ames, like in Silicon Valley, it's a research center. Yeah. And so, you're starting like the ideas, the nuggets of the ideas that will be exactly. instrumentation on curiosity or on into the space station. It's right. like the beginning of those ideas. I mean, from, from what it seems, Ames is, tends to do very well in terms of progressing the, the technology readiness level okay. of stuff, right? That's like one of the, the, the core objectives of the research centers is to take something that's a nine or an eight and bring it down to something that might be usable, like a six or a seven or, you know, okay. something that you could take a chance on and something that your management would be more comfortable with you testing. And what better place to do that than a prototyping facility where if yeah. you have a crazy idea, you can take a, a you know a piece of cardboard and, and laser cut it to the right dimensions. And we if you don't know how to CAD, we teach you how to CAD. And you know within a couple of days, you got something. Oh, wow. And you show the right people, you know convince the right people, you throw in the right proposals, all the innovation you know. You know, funds that are out there. And yeah, before you know it, you get funded and it becomes a project. Oh, cool. Is there any are there any projects that have come out of the space shop of of late, or is it still all in the nascence in the early stages? You know, we help or, many many hundreds of projects uh, okay. every every year, 
And the level of thoroughness in which we help these projects with varies greatly. Okay. Um, I, I don't want to take uh, the space shop and you know claim the space shop is taking credit for any of these no. projects. But uh, one thing that I found very 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 cool was the early prototyping of the next generation of the International Space Station. Glove mm-hmm. box. The glove box is that portal yeah. in which the astronauts, you know, kind of isolate themselves from their projects, but they're able to interact with them and conduct whatever experiments they need without posing a threat to okay. you know, all, all, all the guys on on station. So the the next generation of this ISS glove so box. The, the glove box is literally there's gloves in a box. <laughs> you put your hands in said it's gloves. It's literally a glove box. It <laughs> it's like you think of a glove compartment in your car. It's like no, literally, you put your hands in these gloves and you do your science. Absolutely, so nobody else. Absolutely, <laughs> the, they, of all the creative names, yeah. it's literally the glove box. Uh, abso- absolutely, <laughs> and and. I, I like to tell this story because it really shows what rapid prototyping is all about and the power of having these types of facilities and, and doing your homework early on in the design process so you kind of identify design flaws early on. Now, okay. this ISS glove box, it had been mocked up in CAD beautifully. And a lot of people are convinced they don't need physical prototypes because they're you know the the software is advancing so much that mm-hmm. all these testing and these suites are out and there. CAD is the software that's used yeah, yeah. computer-aided design. Yes, I mean, okay. the, the software is vary, but for the most part, people pick their poison and go about their ways in you know, designing their objects. And uh, you know, Ames and Johnson had come up with this uh, design for this glove box, and it was beautiful. It was spherical. It seemed extremely ergonomic. It, mm-hmm. You know, multiple astronauts could work in this simultaneously in this, in this environment. You had a better point of view. It wasn't just this rectangle. And pretty much the chief engineers from all the different centers had come to Ames for this big meeting. And someone was like, why don't we have a physical prototype on this thing before we take it further? We've done all of this work yeah. in software. We've <laughs> never actually interacted with this thing. What if it doesn't make sense? So they come to us at 4 p.m. the day before this meeting. I'm not even nice. kidding. 4 p.m. They come to us and they're like, would it be, we know this is a lot, but would it be possible if you guys just uh, make just can you guys make a couple ISS prototypes for this glove box? <laughs> and we're like, well, what are you looking at? You know? And they're like, okay, oh, five foot by like four foot, something like that in terms of volume. The fidelity doesn't need to be crazy. You can make this thing out of, you know, cardboard for all we care. Just make sure that the geometry is right because that's what's important. Okay. And we said, okay, give us the dimensions. So they told us the, the diameter of these portholes for the gloves. And, yeah. you know, the astronauts would be sticking their hands through the, one of them was, was, um, uh, spherical uh, in the sense that you had a radius and the other one was rectangular, more of an, uh, an evolution of the traditional mm-hmm. design. And we, we, we stay at the space shop until maybe four in the morning working on this prototype and we get you know this rectangular one, which would be an evolution, and this spherical one they spent so much time to, which would be yeah. the revolution in global okay. box ergonomics. And it took no more than five minutes for them to realize that the spherical thing they had been working on was not going to work at really all, at all and and all it took was a couple of these chief engineers to put their hands through the glove box themselves have someone come in from the other side so it's like two of these guys simultaneously and they're like our arms hit each other 
Yeah, it's just this too is, small. This, it's too cramped. We can't have two astronauts working on this simultaneously. That's not sustainable. And before you knew it, complete design change. And it took some cardboard. <laughs> <laughs> some cardboard and some construction. And a couple hours, yeah. To then pull it together. Yeah. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. So it's important to note that although software is... Software is, can take you to a certain point. Exactly. It doesn't replace like actually holding something in your hands. And I guess that might be just the way we're wired as human yeah. beings to, to really feel free, you know, for whether something is right or wrong. And, and imagine like the 3D printers and stuff have kind of like... Been kind of a game changer for you guys, or yeah, is it? Absolutely. Or is it just like a supplement on top of what you already were working with? Y- you know, it, it kind of depends on who you ask. Some people see three D printing as the one key solution for everything. Yeah. And it's important to note that, as you noted, it, it's a tool, and using that tool wisely is very powerful. But you shouldn't misuse additive manufacturing as as the the, the solution, the solution for everything. Like it's not anything you can think of. Print you know, it. When you look at, yeah, when you look at operational costs, sometimes it doesn't make sense. It's actually uh, very energy inefficient, it turns out, right? It okay. makes a lot more sense that if you are printing a thousand of something uh, to take a look at how much energy is that actually going to use, right? What if we were to mill these? What if we were to make a mold and then injection? injection? Okay. You know, like, so maybe, maybe for some things sense. it makes sense, but for others it's just... Absolutely. There's probably more efficient ways to do yeah, it. Yeah, and I think the reason why it's taken on so much is because it's kind of bridged that gap between those who design and those who actually manufacture. And it's not supposed to replace anyone or anything per se, but it's supposed to aid the design early on enough at a low enough fidelity to where you know whether something's going to work or not for the same reason that okay. glove box worked or you know, exactly. didn't work. You, don't you get an idea and you're like, you know, this isn't going to work. Okay. And it's not supposed to be for final flight fabrication or anything like that. Yeah. You, know, you could help. It can aid you. But the conventional definition of 3D printing should be for rapid prototyping okay. and just rapid prototyping. I mean, that doesn't mean that you can't assemble things into uh, workable mm-hmm. structures, but maybe not our current definition of fused deposition yeah. modeling. Seems like example. it's got a lot of, it's still got some progress to be made. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, there are other types of 3D printing as well, stereolithography, mm-hmm. you know, selective laser sintering. And, oh, and wow. people are doing a lot of research, and there's a lot of research going on in the agency for how we could best use that. Mm-hmm. But as for open maker spaces and stuff like that, you really shouldn't be 3D printing metal. <laughs> and if you are, are you really prototyping? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So then you're yeah. making a thing. Yeah. It's not really just a prototype yeah. to quickly throw together. Yeah, absolutely. So cool. So as a bit of the aeronautics buff, like, I mean, you're in, in a center that's got these huge wind tunnels and all oh. this other stuff. Oh, yeah. That's just got to be... Oh, it's it's, it's like a little playground just waiting for you. Well, you know, from my desk, we have these very large, semi-opaque windows, and the view that I see is the world's largest wind tunnel. And sometimes, you know, you, you didn't get enough sleep at night, and you go into work that morning, and all it takes is to look through that window and be like, man, I, I am at the right place. <laughs> like, I'm home, you know? The projects that come through are just amazing, and the people and the mm-hmm. work is what keeps you here. So, is there anything like particularly that, that stands out? Maybe not something that you're particularly working on, but maybe something out of aeronautics or or oh. even Kepler or like what? What are the kind of the things that like spark your interest? In? Yeah, yeah. So there, there's um, 
there's a couple people out here. One, Kenneth Chung, mm-hmm. uh, who's out of the Center Chief Technologist's office, and uh, Sean Sway, who's in okay. Intelligence Systems. And these guys are PI and co-PI of a project called MadCat. And pretty okay. much that, that, that project is for incorporating digital materials, in other ways, uh, materials that have information embedded into them, through a morphing structure. In, in, okay. in MadCat's case, it's an arrow structure. And this is what I did my, um, what I focused on my, my master's thesis was this morphing wing, this, uh, this aircraft that would not deploy an actuator, you know, an aileron to turn, it would okay. morph the whole wing to turn. And what does that? A bird does that, right? Yeah, exactly. You think of like, like an airplane wing, stiff, straight, but all right, you're talking about actually literally bending a wing. Absolutely. And that is, in my opinion, the revolution in aeronautics. It's not, you know, tailoring a wingtip so it's 0.1% more efficient over a certain range. It's instead of deploying a part of the wing up and down or deploying this up and down, you know, on the tail, you you morph the whole aircraft. Okay. And that's the way biology has figured out is the right way to go over millions of years. And that's the way we need to go if we really want to increase uh, lift to drag ratios and fuel efficiencies and stuff like that's that. A fun thing to do in your spare time. Come and <laughs> go check out what other people are researching and <laughs> working on. <laughs> yeah, no, it's amazing. And, and the project's doing really well. I liked it so much, like I said, that I started uh, a PhD in it so i'm doing that on my side and focusing on the space shop cool so if anybody wanted to get more information on like the space shop or some of the stuff that you're working on oh yeah i guess and well i just go to nasa.gov or yeah or yeah yeah well we have a website uh www.nasa.gov slash centers slash aim slash space shop nice and on there we have all of our documentation we partner up with a lot of people out in the public sector and uh, offer all of the lab manuals that NASA's approved in terms oh, really? of safety. So if someone, if a school wants to figure out what are the, maybe some good protocols to follow, well, this stuff is Anybody pretty- Anybody can uh, come and check it out. Absolutely, they could download the manuals. If they have them at their universities, they could use these things as references. I mean, we have a Connect scanner in the shop. Everyone has an Xbox Connect at home, you know, or they know someone who does, and just download the right software and the right drivers train yourself with the manual and now you got a really cool scanner dude that's awesome yeah cool well i'm sure uh, and then for folks who have questions for alex or anything about the space shop uh we're at nasa ames on twitter and we're using the hashtag hashtag nasa silicon valley thanks a lot for coming over man yeah thank you thanks for having me